Mindy began speaking with the kids about this season of Advent that we're in. A season, really, that we come to remember a few things. That a loving God came to his creation. That a loving God came to his creation that really didn't love him back fully. We remember that there's a perfect God. A perfect God that that comes into his messy creation. A messy creation that experiences difficulties and has questions, and there's so many things that seem to be unknown. We remember that a holy God came into his creation. A holy God that lived among people that consistently downplayed and looked over problems and sin in their life. A creation that denied different aspects of of who they are and what they were doing. It's during this time that we remember God coming to earth that we desire him to make all things right. That's why we we say that we, we join with Israel in waiting for the Lord. We join with Israel waiting for the Lord because they were were waiting for God to come to, to break into their world to make all things right again. They were actively watching and searching and in looking to see what was happening in the world and where it could possibly be that God was was breaking and bursting into the scene. For them, it was the hope of the Messiah coming for the first time. For us, it's, it's the hope of the Messiah coming once again to restore all things to be right. And we wonder, are we watching? Are we looking for the signs? For for Israel, they were, were looking for signs, and sometimes the signs were in the sky, and we see that in the pictures that we have in, in the atrium. The signs were the, the single bright star that the wise men saw that made them look for a king, right? That's later on. We see the, the symbols in the sky of the rainbow that would remind God of, of the promise that he made to Noah. The signs in the sky were were a multitude, a host of stars in the sky that would be a representation of of the nation of Israel, those people who would be in the family line of Abram. For the shepherds later on in the New Testament, the sign in the sky would be these angels that were worshiping and in in gathering to tell them about this coming king that was born. Sometimes the signs God would give would would lead people into the places that they would need to go next. We think of the sign of, of the dove with the freshly cut or plucked leaf as it came back to the boat that Noah and his family were in. The signs came as a ram caught in a thicket that was going to be the new sacrifice that Abraham and Isaac would offer together to the Lord. There would be the sign of the the burning bush that Moses would see, the bush that wasn't being consumed by the fire, and it led him into the next part of his life. 
We see the sign of, of the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire as Israel wandered, not really wandered, but was directed through and guided through the desert by God himself. God gives his people signs. The signs of, of where to go next and the sign of God breaking into his creation, doing something only he can do. Sometimes that's where it gets a little difficult. You think, well, that's great. God broke into the lives of Israel and God broke into the lives of all the people in the New Testament and healing them and so on. When is, when is God going to break into my life? When is God going to come into my life and make everything whole again to take those things that don't seem to be right, to take those sugar-coated realities of life, to, to take those areas that we somehow want to push to the side and make them whole and make them new once again? When is God going to break into our life where, where we don't seem to have to put this happy face on when we gather around the Thanksgiving table or, or at the Christmas dinner or at the time where we gather around with all our friends and family to say that, yeah, everything's fine, even though we're just sugarcoating what's actually going on. It's here in this Christmas Advent season that we take those sugar-coated realities, those times where we know things aren't whole, and we offer them to the Lord, and we wait for the Lord. We wait anticipating that He will come that he will meet us in those places and that he will make us whole once again. Because the truth of Advent is that God meets you in that place. Whatever place that is in your mind, whatever that mess is, whatever the rawness of your feelings is, whatever the discomfort is, God meets you right there. And it's a promise that he'll meet you based on our relationship with him and based on a faithful God who always keeps his promises. And that's why for this series of Advent, we're going to look at some of the major, the five major promises that God made to his people in the, in the pages of Scripture. The promises that we see a couple things happening. Promises that brought the presence of God closer and promises that created an opportunity for God to have a restored relationship with his people. So let's head to Genesis chapter 9. If you grab a black Bible, you don't have to page very far. It's page number 6. If there's any kids that have their Bible along, that would be page number 11. So let's look at verses 1 through 17. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. Now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it, 
and for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds and the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you and every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring the clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you in all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. The first promise that we're going to look at here comes on the heels of what might be a, a fairly familiar story for you, the aftermath of, of the flood. Sometimes when, when people think about the flood, they think about some God who is so angry that, that he was, was so fed up that he was just going to destroy everything and start over. But I'm going to invite us to think perhaps a little differently about the flood than we have in the past. In the beginning, in, in Genesis 1, God created the world in a way that it would, would flourish. He began with his spirit hovering over the waters, the waters that covered the entire earth. And then God began creating distinctions. He began creating distinctions and lines in creation, creating the land and, and the water, creating the light and the darkness, creating the, the sun and the moon, creating the day and the night, distinctions where you would live and in different areas where, where you would experience those differences. He would, he would create distinctions and lines of, of where the fish of the sea lived, where the birds of the air lived, uh, distinctions where the animals of the land would live. And he would, would make humans distinct from each of them. He would create this perfect place for humanity to thrive and flourish and be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. But after that 
beautiful creation, beginning with the waters, ending up with creation as he would see as very good. Humanity started following their own ideas. With a mind of their own, they began to blur the lines that God created. They began to, to, to cross the distinctions that God had put in place. They began eating what they pleased. They began taking the life of others. They, they blurred the lines between the, the good and the evil that were there. They blurred the lines of what relationships were supposed to look like. And what happened was the, the blurred lines that humanity created resulted in something that God noticed. I can't get there, Peyton. Can you give me the next slide? Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. That every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was all evil, only evil, all the time. The blurred lines in the blurred nature of created order, though, that all evil all the time would not stop God from bringing about his desires for restoration. And in, instead of blowing up the earth and starting completely over from scratch, he, he was going to keep the earth, and, and he was going to begin with, with an, one family, a family that he saw was, was righteous. And, and so God begins this act of recreating the lines of distinction that he had once had in creation. We don't see this flood as an act of rage, but a gracious act reforming the distinctions God created in the beginning. A recreation and restoration project that included the foundations of what we would experience as salvation. Salvation that that one family, Noah's family, would experience. And so this story of the flood once again begins like creation did with the waters covering over all of the earth. Covering over the highest mountains by meters. God took his unrecognizable creation that had blurred the lines he created and covered it over as it was in the beginning, beginning the way he, was, it, uh, he had earlier. In Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation. And now in Genesis 7-19, the waters rose greatly on the earth and all the mountains and under the entire heavens were covered. Waters once again covered the face of the earth. And then God would set about restoring those distinctions. He once again would, would separate the water from the land. He once again would create lines and boundaries for the animals, the places for the fish to be the, the birds of the air in the sky and in the animals and the beasts of the field in the land. God once again would create a place for his humanity to thrive. The flood 
restoring order in the world for the plants and the birds and the animals and the people. God restoring the mandate that he had given to humanity to be fruitful and multiply within the earth. No amount of of blurred lines in God's creation would stop him from beginning the process of restoring the earth. I mentioned earlier that God would even bake into this the foundations of salvation. He did so with, with Noah and his family, Shem, Ham, and, and Japheth. God gave his image bearers instructions, the exact instructions that they needed to be safe. He, he laid out everything for them, the dimensions they needed to follow, the animals that were gathered in the places and how they would be fed. He gave them everything they needed and all they needed to do. All Noah needed to do was to believe in God and and to follow his plan and he would be saved. And out of this recreation story, you could call it this restoration story of the world, God makes this promise to never again to destroy all life by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to to destroy and reform the entire earth. Never never again will, will God take all of life and snuff them out in order to begin again. And it wasn't just a a promise for Noah. It wasn't just a promise that extended to his kids, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It, it, It wasn't just a promise that extended to all humanity that would come later, but it was a promise that God had extended to all creation itself. All the birds, all the the fish, all the animals, all of creation would experience this promise. All who would live in the future. It's this promise that, that God gave that it's a promise about love. And it's a promise about hope. It's a promise about love because God loved his creation so much that he, he would vow to keep it, even though he knew that the new lines of distinction that he draw, that he drew would once again be blurred. It's about love because the promise didn't require anything of us. It's a a one-sided promise that God had with Noah. Even though the, the, the people on earth would once again blur those lines and they would once again move them and, and begin to do evil in the sight of the Lord, God would still hold his promise to be true. God didn't say, you need to, to, to do the things I say always and to always do the right thing and, and never blur any lines of distinction and, and you should be perfect and then I'll have a promise with you. No, instead, God knowing we would fail, God knowing creation in the future would fail, he extended an everlasting promise. Unlike our promises that are contingent, God's are not. God's promise is the only thing that will hold back the waters of a flood. God essentially, he strikes a deal with himself. 
He, he strikes a deal with his desire for justice and in his desire for the punishment of unrighteousness with his desire for love and care and grace for his image bearers in the creation he made. It's because God wants his creation to live and not die. God wants his creation to know of his love and know who he is. And God applies this promise to even us. There was no small print, no finely, finely worded phrases down at the end. There's no lawyers that were needed, sorry, Harvey and Steve. Uh, there, was, there was no fast talking at the end of the commercial. There was no distinctions that God made. He said, this promise is for you, Noah, and all creation that would come after. A promise of, of God's grace that extends to today. And to ratify this promise, God put this bow in the sky. And, and really, the rainbow isn't for us because Scripture says that when God looks down and, and when he sees that bow, he is the one who will remember his everlasting covenant with his people, that he will not destroy them again. And within that, there's this hope that God will find a new way to restore his world. He's going to create a new way to restore the, the lines of distinction that humanity keeps crossing. And, and that's where this promise is about hope. Every time God sees that, he, he was going to be working on that new way to create restoration within his world. That bow, a, a constant reminder to him of his love for creation and the promise that he made to them. A promise that would say his new restoration project would, would no longer harm the entire world, but that it would come to renew it and create it as if it was new. God laying the foundations for salvation to come. God laying the foundations and then continuing to reveal time after time with the promises he would make in the future, how God would bring about that salvation, not just for the family of Noah, but for all creation. And what we find in Scripture, as God continues to reveal his blueprint of salvation, is that salvation always comes. But salvation perhaps looks a little different. At one time, salvation looked like a bunch, of, a bunch of pieces of wood molded together and hammered together to form a boat for Noah. Other times, salvation would look like a, a wooden staff as God would take his shepherds and, and lead his people. Salvation is the, the timbers that form the basis of the tabernacle, bringing God's presence to his people. Salvation is the, the wood of a manger, bringing the king to the world. Salvation is the wood of a cross, which is 
paving the way for God's Spirit to dwell within us. To, to be able to see His people anew. To have His, his desire for, for justice and unrighteousness to be punished to be met in this ability that his love can be displayed by way of Christ, by way of restoration that we've experienced today, but by way of that restoration that we look forward to in the future in this time of Advent, where God won't wipe out all the world with water, but instead God will restore all of creation by the way of Christ's reign. In Advent, we remember God has a restoration plan, a, a blueprint, so to speak. And He gives us the signs. If we just open our eyes just enough, the signs to know what salvation looks like and who it is we must trust for that salvation. Today, I invite you to think about those areas at the beginning of the message, those, those areas that you need the hope of God's salvation, those areas where you truly desire the Lord to come in, to burst onto the scene and restore something that was broken, those, those areas that you need God to come in your life and to, to show you the next steps and to show you the way, to 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 trust into God and, and what he has for your life that you could experience and have hope for that restoration that he, he so desires. So let us pray to the Lord about those things on our mind. Lord, we desire your restoration. We desire you to, to solve so many problems that we see in the world. We, we desire you to take care of evil once and for all. That humanity in our minds would, would never think evil of one another. Lord, we, we think of those relationships that somehow are strained. Relationships so strained sometimes it's even hard to gather around a table with the person. Lord, it's, it's there where we need your restoration that comes through Christ. A restoration that restores people to people. Father, we, we think of those difficult areas in our life where it's hard for us to trust you. The areas that, that we, we don't want to give up, we just want to keep hanging on to them ourselves, thinking that, that we can we can fix the problem if we just try harder, if we, we do more, if we, we try this other thing, Lord, allow us to release them to you. That we, we may not be chained by whatever bondage or heartache or, or hurt that that is, that we could freely give it up to you, giving it to Christ, that you may restore the hurt in our life. That you would break those chains that keep us. Lord, it's in this season of Advent we desire your restoration to come into our lives, but also to, to come into this world, that we may see your creation new, afresh, 
that we may be able to live with you and praise the Savior in person. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.